With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 36th episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues. And I also really love to provide listeners worldwide with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and also better protect your privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business channel site. I sincerely appreciate all of you who tune in. One of the things I really love seeing is um, how many different locations there are where my listeners are coming from. So this week, I want to give a special hello to my many listeners I have in Brazil, Belgium, and New Zealand. I'm really appreciative of you and all of the, the many what's coming to be tens of thousands of you who listen to my show. You know, some of you have asked, well, how do you know those numbers? Well, these numbers are determined by those who listen at the Voice America Business website, and it's based on a portion of the IP address of the site visitors. Now, these numbers do not include all of those who are listening in through those apps that I just listed earlier that you can also use. So before we get started, I do want to invite you to please check out my websites, Simbus360.com and PrivacyGuidance.com. And hey, if you are interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my show, please also get in touch. And for those of you in Africa or close to Antarctica, if you need help with information, security, or privacy, please get in touch. I've been to all the other continents, but not these, at least not yet. You know, I'd love to visit your areas and do work for you, and then uh, stick around and explore a little bit while I'm there. Thanks also. I've been getting a lot of really great questions from my listeners Thank you for sending them, and I know I've not answered a lot of them directly back. I I apologize for that. I'm still uh, behind in answering them, but at the same time, know that I do love getting your questions, and so please do keep sending them, and thank you for your patience. You know, I'm thinking about doing a show before the end of this year that's dedicated to just answering all of the questions that I've not gotten to at that point. And uh, the questions are great. Most of them apply to almost all of our listeners. My October 
Privacy Professor Tips message was published on September 28th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please go ahead and sign up for them. I've always provided them for free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. Also, you know, send me an email and let me know who your privacy hero is at your work or it could be in your personal life. I'm recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages throughout 2018. Now, speaking of tips, for this week's tips that I give you on the show, uh, I want to cover a type of scam that has been going on for literally decades, many decades, and this these types of scams continue because they are so effective and lucrative for all the crooks that are doing them. They are scam phone calls. And why do they keep doing? Well, they're effective and they're profitable. You know, I looked this morning to see what the current phone scams were, and I stopped counting after I saw 35 different ones that were listed in the news. They just, more of them were popping up. So here are just a few of the current common phone scams that I saw this morning. One of them was where the caller spoofs your actual legitimate local sheriff's department phone number so they're they're spoofing an actual phone number they call you up they say that they're the deputy and he or she asks you for money to post bond for one of your jailed injured relatives a lot of people are falling for that another scam is where the caller pretends to be your utility company and they threaten to shut off your power if you don't pay a long past due bill. And of course, they're going to ask you to pay with a debit card or a wire transfer. That's a scam. Another common one is a caller that tells you you've won a large amount of money, such as $500,000 or even a a million dollars. But then they tell you, well, you know what? You you need to only pay $20,000 to cover the transfer of the phone's Uh, funds into your account many people are falling for this I, i mean it's hard to believe but yes they do there's also gift card phone call scammers scammers targeting college students telling them they've won a scholarship or grant and then here listen to this one this one's interesting it's kind of a twist on the phone call scam it's an in-person scam where a stranger approaches you usually on a college campus but it could be you know even uh, on the streets in a city or wherever and they say oh can I borrow your phone the battery's dead on my phone well then they use your phone to access Venmo or a similar type of app and they wire money from your account that they're able to get through by having your phone in their hand to theirs. Uh, there's also the IRS and Social Security phone scams that are still common. So my tip for the week, if you encounter a stranger asking to borrow your phone, don't let them. (laughs) Or if you get any unsolicited phone calls that involve asking you for your personal data or financial information, or they tell you you need to send money, just don't do it. Now, if you can, record the call. That creates some very good evidence. Uh, But if not, just hang up. 
Ideally, you should also then report the call to your state attorney general's office or for those of you outside of the U.S., because this happens in other countries as well, um, make a call to your appropriate country privacy or data protection authority or to your law enforcement. Now, to the topic of our show today, I've had several requests from my clients over the years, and I just received a few questions from listeners of this show, too, asking me, you know, what are vulnerability scans, and what are vulnerability assessments, and and what are penetration tests? And a lot of them say, aren't these all the same types of things? Don't they just, you know, mean the same thing? Or if not... How are they different? So I'm really happy to have a longtime business friend on the show today who is an expert in performing these activities, and he has decades of experience. Also, he's one of my uh, co-authors. He and I co-authored two HIPAA books so far, the first in 2005, and the second edition was published in 2014. And it's interesting, I met him via phone when he called me in late 2003 saying that my editor at Taylor & Francis Publishing Group suggested he give me a call about the possibility of writing a HIPAA book with me. So this has resulted in two published HIPAA books that we've written together so far. So today I'm really happy to speak with Kevin Beaver, an independent information security consultant with Atlanta-based Principal Logic LLC. Now, Kevin has over 29 years of experience. He performs security assessments and also provides virtual CISO consulting, CISO consulting, to help his clients manage their business risks and also to uncheck those boxes that keep creating a false sense of security. Kevin has written or co-written 12 books on information security, including one of the all-time best-selling security books, Hacking for Dummies. I'm sure that you've all seen that one uh, in the bookstores. Kevin is a regular writer for Tech Target's SearchSecurity.com, as well as Ziff uh, Davis's Toolbox.com and IBM's SecurityIntelligence.com. And he's written over or 37 white papers and over a thousand articles on security. As a professional speaker, Kevin has given hundreds of keynote presentations and breakout sessions and panel discussions and so on. Kevin's got a bachelor's degree in computer engineering technology from Southern College of Technology and a master's degree in management of technology from Georgia Tech. And he also has a CISSP. Kevin, thank you very Very much much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thanks so much, Becky. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so happy to to talk with you about this topic because you're just so knowledgeable and have so much experience with it. And as soon as I started getting questions from my listeners, I thought I've got to have Kevin on to talk about (laughs) these terms. So, you know, first, (laughs) let's let, yeah, let's, let's level set these terms then. So what are the differences between vulnerability scanning and vulnerability assessments and penetration testing? What do each of these kind of mean? You know, Becky, it's interesting. There, there's a lot of confusion in the industry around these terms. So it's good to be able to clarify it or, or, or at least provide my perspective. 
Um, you know, and, and in addition to what you mentioned, there's the term security audit, uh, there's security mm-hmm. assessment. Some people refer to it as cybersecurity, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of these terms are often used interchangeably, but there are differences. And I, I tend to use the term security assessment when I refer to the work that I do or to, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this when I sort of combine it all uh, in, in, in the specific tasks that I'm working on because it better describes what is being done or what should be taking place. So vulnerability scanning. It's literally just the, the art and the science of, uh, of plugging in a web URL or a network host, you know, uh, an IP address or set of IP addresses, running scans against the systems to see how they're vulnerable, to see, you know, check for low-hanging fruit, see what could potentially be exploited and so on. Vulnerability assessments, um, it, it, we get into some of the gray area here and hopefully we'll be able to clarify some of this uh, uh, today, but the assessment part to me is is you know taking the the vulnerability scan data and then analyzing it from you know from the perspective of a, of a practitioner and being able to um, basically identify uh, opportunities and areas uh, of of weakness and then penetration testing you know it, 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 we're we're getting even even murkier here at this point <laughs> but penetration testing is is technically taking that next step and actually exploiting the vulnerabilities and, and, and I guess in essence demonstrating what can actually happen uh, when, when, the vulner- when, when someone comes across a vulnerability and takes action. So, you know, it, it, here's the thing. In the end, it doesn't really matter what you call it as long as you're doing the proper type of testing. And that, that's where the, the real issue and the real challenge and, and even some of the oversights and misconceptions come into play you know people are doing a when they should be doing b or maybe they're doing y when they should be doing z so it's again there's a lot of confusion mm-hmm. well you know we have listeners from all over the world and they're some of them many of them are from an it background but many of them are not so when you're talking about running vulnerability scans um, you're talking about using specialized tools right can you maybe describe some of those tools or give examples of of what you are scanning for yeah absolutely the the vulnerability scanners there there are two main categories one is uh, a traditional network vulnerability scanner where you plug in the, the host name or the IP address or host names and IP addresses of the systems that you want to test. The other category is uh, web vulnerability scanners or web application vulnerability scanners. There's a, I guess technically a third, there's uh, source code analyzers where mm-hmm. it's a type of scanner that will go in and look at actual software source code and and try to uncover vulnerabilities that you couldn't find otherwise but but yeah these these tools they they're they're used as part of uh, an overall assessment to to try to find vulnerabilities to try to identify where some of the common weak points are and and you know find those those areas of focus so that you can go back and and fix those vulnerabilities uh, plug those holes patch those systems do whatever it takes change passwords and it, you know enable x y and z security controls to compensate 
for those gaps and, and those those weaknesses. So it's 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 almost like if if you could imagine a a, a CT scan machine or an MRI machine mm-hmm. that that a, a you know a, a medical professional might use, or even sort of in the context of a home inspector, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a radon uh, tester or one of the myriad of other tools that, that, a, that a home inspector might use, or even an auto mechanic, the, you know, they, they have all sorts of diagnostic tools. They have standard tools to, you know, to tighten things, to loosen things and adjust things. So it's, it's, it's a tool that's part of our uh, arsenal to, to, again, identify where we need to focus our efforts. And talking about arsenal, I mean, it's a tool that the folks who are responsible for security and helping improve security use, but it sounds like this these tools could also be useful for the hackers, right? So, I mean, to think that um, they aren't using them, they are too, but that, you right. know, you got to expect that. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you know, the I, I think many, if not most of the commercial vulnerability scanner vendors or, you know, whatever, whatever tool it is, it could be a password cracker, it could be a network analyzer. I do think a lot of them uh, go to uh, the trouble uh, to, to try to weed out potential, I guess, malicious users of their software, of their systems. Um, not that the, the criminals out there would necessarily want to go and buy uh, in, any sort of product to, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to do their testing with, because there are a, a lot of free tools out there. There's open source mm-hmm. tool. There's closed source that 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 you can download and run for free. That are super popular, and and I actually use some of those tools in mm-hmm. in, in in a fair amount of my tests. So it's yeah, the the tools just like really anything else, they can get into the hands of the bad guys and and be used for ill-gotten gains. Right. Well, you know, it reminds me of what I used years ago when I was uh, doing security at a large um, financial organization. Uh, I guess this would be a type of vulnerability scanner when I was running, I think it was the Rainbow uh, Password Cracker tool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's probably still even used, isn't it? Yeah, the Rainbow Tables are still out there. They're used to, to crack passwords that would otherwise be impossible to 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 crack and mm-hmm. yeah there, there are a lot of tools including commercial tools that that leverage those rainbow tables uh you you can they're actually um i haven't checked lately but uh when i was updating the the latest edition of hacking for dummies i was out there and i saw there, there are some websites where you can actually go and upload your password hashes mm-hmm. and and these websites it's like password password cracking as a service and it's 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 pretty neat how they do it, and it's uh, I, I don't know that I would want to do it if if I were uh, if I had a set of password hashes of my own users. I don't know that I'd upload it to to some random third party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess there's a market for it. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Well, you know, and so we're talking about finding vulnerabilities, but then there's also penetration testing. And I want to share with you back in the mid-90s when, uh, like I mentioned, I was responsible for security at a large organization. We hired an outside entity to do penetration testing for us. And what I found was very interesting, super sharp, super sharp people, so intelligent, but 
they kept going down these wormholes because, you know, they, they'd find a hole. And it's like, oh, we penetrated here. Well, we want to see what we can get to here. So it was like, man, if you're doing penetration testing, you know, you got to think about the scope, right? Pretty uh, Absolutely. limit yeah. yourself. Yeah, otherwise it could be uh, never ending, you know. <laughs> yeah, they go to the very endpoints and then just wait. So, so what purposes would you recommend for our listeners that maybe penetration testing might be good for? Well, it's, it's really to find and exploit security flaws, uh, though that's the essence of it. But, you know, again, there's that confusion in the industry. And to me, it's penetration testing with with air quotes I'm doing right now. It's creating a false sense of security. I, I hear people say it all the time that they had a pen test or that they passed their pen test. And I can't help but ask, OK, what, what does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. without these well-defined parameters, like you said, without properly scoping it, it really means nothing or it may not mean as much as you think that it does or it just means different things to different people and it really does the entire security assessment process no justice so again a penetration test is to find exploitable flaws and then they demonstrate how they can be exploited and i like to use that word demonstrate because people don't Mm -hmm. people don't want to hear exploit they they want to hear okay well you're going to show me how it's how you do it it's it's a semantics thing but i I have i have definitely found that uh demonstrate versus exploit is it works better Mm -hmm. but but yeah, there, there's there's a again there's a lot of challenges around that related to the scope, related to how far how far you get, when do you stop, uh, and and so forth. Well, that's probably when um, companies engage you to do that. I would imagine that's a very important thing to say. Maybe once you get to the second level of interior network, that's when you stop, even though there might be further. Um, openings into right. deeper levels beyond that. Um, right, right, absolutely. And, and that's the thing that, you know, a lot of people think that it's, you know, it, they actually just stop once an exploit is, is successful. They, you know, say, okay, here, here we got SQL injection, we got a remote command prompt, we got, uh, we're able to log in using some credentials that we obtained via phishing or whatever. The problem is, Taking that approach, there are likely more, many more security flaws that may go undiscovered and unacknowledged. And mm-hmm. how long is it going to be before they are exploited? And to me, that that's a dangerous approach to testing, but it happens all the time. So, you know, it, it's almost like going taking your taking in your car to. To, to get it inspected and the mechanic sees that your, I don't know, your brake pads are worn out. So he replaces them and then he returns the car to you. But what he didn't see be it through ignorance or lack of awareness or just not using the right tools or whatever. He didn't see your bald tires. He didn't see Mm -hmm. broken ball joints. He didn't see your radiator that's low on coolant or maybe your engine's low on oil. And to me, that represents the typical pen test today. You know, they found something. It was addressed. People went through the motions and it looks like work was being done. But your security program is not necessarily any better off than it was before. Right. Well, and another thing I hear a lot of people talk about is uh, since, you know, you and I have written the the two books on HIPAA, Mm -hmm. and I so often hear people say um, something like, well, a penetration test, that is required for compliance with HIPAA or for GLBA or for, you know, name whatever your regulation is. Right. And, you know, that's something, too, that um, I think organizations need to realize with penetration tests and vulnerability scans, that's part of the risk um, management requirements and security controls. But right. generally, that's not a, 
an explicit requirement. Do you run across that a lot too? Yeah, you know, a lot of people they'll 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 come talk they'll they'll hire me or reach out to me or my my existing clients will 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 just bring it up, you know, hey, we we've got to do a pen test to be compliant with the HIPAA security rule. Well, technically, I mean, as far as I remember, I, I don't think there's a pen test requirement in the security rule, but but there is a risk evaluation, there's risk analysis and Vulnerability and penetration testing is part of that, like you said. It's it's part of the the overall system. It's you know, a, a lot of people they'll you know they'll take the IT controls audit approach, maybe a SOC audit, or or you know look at it from the perspective of of uh, you know just a higher level information risk level. Um, but to me, unless and until you do that vulnerability and penetration testing, those security assessments that I've talked about, um, mm-hmm. you really can't strike a good balance uh, mm-hmm. overall. You you have to look at the technical side of your network. You can have policies all day, but policies don't get hacked. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to look at the stuff that does get hacked and you've got to be able to demonstrate where it's weak and how it can be exploited. Yeah, it depends upon just your uh, business environment. I think, you know, to flip around that view a little bit, I also hear people say we are we don't need to do a penetration test or we don't need to do a vulnerability scan because it's not required by mm-hmm. right. to meet compliance. So that's a dangerous uh, view to way to look at it as well. It is. It is. It's um yeah, if if they 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 assume that if it's not explicitly called out, you know, they're not following the letter of the law, they're fearing, they're following the the spirit of the law. And uh it, yeah, you got that'll get you into trouble and I think that happens when people who are in charge of compliance may not necessarily be security savvy mm-hmm. or they don't have they don't maybe they don't come from an IT background or they're not seeing the bigger picture. It's not again, it's not just about policies and paperwork and and operations going on behind the scenes it's this the actual systems themselves mm-hmm. right right and and the too often uh, mistaken consideration that well if this is a, a compliance regul you know if this is a security regulation mm-hmm. then they've surely covered everything that you need for security right so right right <laughs> and and they they got to realize well you can't be explicit with uh, every type of tool within a regulation or you're going to have to update your regulations all the time to stay current so right and you know there is one regulation that does call this out is very explicit and it's PCI DSS it's yeah, or, uh, or the standard yeah right right it's a contractual requirement you know we're coming up on a break right now and okay. when we come back why well, i want to get into some scenarios because i love doing those and i think it's fun to do it you know i think you do too so um, <laughs> great yep. right now we'll uh, take a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that i do appreciate so much we are speaking today with kevin beaver about vulnerability scans and pen testing i'm your host rebecca harold the privacy professor You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as to suggest show topics using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my website, Simbus360.com, PrivacyGuidance.com. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. When you think about all of the business success stories, have you ever stopped to think that many of the most successful stories have come from failure? We'll hear about these stories each week on Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C, the academic entrepreneur. Dr. C is Dr. Cheryl Lentz. With her guest experts, she'll teach you all about failure and how, with its understanding, you can succeed at just about anything. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. We're speaking today with Kevin Beaver about vulnerability scans and assessments and pen testing. So we're going to continue our conversation. We talked before the break about what pen penetration testing and vulnerability scans and assessments are. Um, Kevin, can you tell us, you know, how often you should do these or give us any guidance uh, related to that? Yeah, you know, that, that's an important thing that a lot of people take for granted, and, and the answer is pretty simple. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do the uh, standard consultant answer. I'll say periodically and consistently. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, some people, they, they do it once per year, some people once per quarter, some larger companies that have dedicated security testing staff do uh, vulnerability scanning, penetration testing in near real time. 
um, you know, it, it's it, it, in the end, you, you need to do this testing enough to provide ongoing assurance that all the right systems are being properly vetted for security flaws. And that's probably going to be different for everyone. But the important thing is, is that you don't just visit vulnerability scanning and penetration testing or the security assessments, that, as I call them. You don't just visit that one time and assume that, oh, okay, well, it wasn't too bad or, well, we fixed everything on the report, then then everything is good. This is something, these are things that, that change over time. The people doing your testing get better over time. Your, the vulnerability scanning tools get better. The methodologies may evolve in certain ways. So definitely something that you need to do periodically and consistently at least once a year. Yeah, you know, it. I, I think, too, if our listeners kind of can relate to the Patch Tuesdays or System Update Tuesdays, you know, where right. people come in, you know, they do that once a week, right? Because they mm-hmm. find that many new problems on an ongoing basis. So if they're finding those problems on an ongoing basis, that kind of shows you got to do more testing on an ongoing basis as well. I agree. You know, I I feel like if, if organizations could get a hold of their their patching, their patch management, mm-hmm. and their click happy users. I, I feel like that's a perfect uh, application of the Pareto principle. It's those twenty percent of the issues that are creating eighty percent of their problems. And I, I, if they could just get their arms around those two things alone, uh, it, it it would go a really long way. But yeah, you do have to do testing as part of that. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you and I wrote a HIPAA book, and we wrote two uh, two editions of it. And within that, what what I thought was really a, a valuable part of those books was our um, were our sections about case studies. So I want to do some case studies with you on the show today okay. uh, where we can consider, you know, what we're going to do with regard to penetration testing and vulnerability scans. So... Um, on my show, I've done a series of shows on voting and election security, and I've also done some on breach response. So I'm going to provide you with a few scenarios within okay. some of these topics, and, I'm, and I'd like for you to explain to our listeners when you would then use a vulnerability scan or assessment or a penetration test. Okay. Okay. So let's say you are responsible for the voting and election systems of your state or uh, country for our listeners who are, you know, are doing it on a country basis. So le- let's say uh, in Georgia, you've become the person responsible for ensuring the, the uh, elections and voting systems are secure. And you're getting ready for our national elections. Our elections are coming up here in November in the United States. So let's go back a few months in time. Let's say it's April or May of this year around 2018 so what if anything would you do at that point in time that many months away from the elections to use vulnerability scans or vulnerability assessments or penetration tests at that point in time can I skip it all and just blame it on the Russians? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, except not for the Russians listening to my show today. We know you are doing that. But, uh, yeah, so I guess that would be a good way to make a change into another career for you, too, wouldn't it? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hope that didn't come across the wrong way. Here in the U.S., here in the States, it's, uh, you know, we kind of have a running joke about the, the Russian hackers and our election system and process and all that. So, but it's no, in the news I, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for, for, for sure. Um, now, I, looking at all of this, if it's April or May, 
mm-hmm. you know, good six months uh, ahead of the election. I would do it all. I would do the full assessment. That would in, that would involve the involve the the scanning, the mm-hmm. uh, the vulnerability assessment, and then the actual penetration testing. You know, look look at things from every angle, every perspective with and without user authentication, with and without your, you know, any sort of network controls enabled, with and without any sort of endpoint security controls enabled on these voting systems. And I I, I take this approach uh, pretty often with certain clients who need me to evaluate an Internet of Things device that they manufacture or maybe they otherwise have it on their network and they're paranoid about what's going on. So it's, yeah, it's drilling down. It's using vulnerability scanners, web browsers, uh, HTTP proxies, command prompts, network analyzers, password crackers, and all that stuff, all of the hacking tools and, and techniques necessary to fully vet that system, to fully evaluate it and see how it, how it holds up, how it responds, um, and, 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 you know, just try to get the full picture uh, as early, <laughs> early in the year as possible. To me, that's what needs to be done. Because if you find something and you discover you might have to actually implement a completely new application or upgrade a system, I mean that can take time, right? So of course, yeah. If whether whether you have it in house or you have to reach out to the vendor, it, it could take it could take days at best, mm-hmm. likely weeks if not months to get certain yeah. uh, vulnerabilities remediated. And you know you may have to go back in and do. Some some remediation validation testing and and it could require hardware upgrades. You may have to you may have to change the the development platform that you're using, the OS platform, the the development libraries that that are that are in use. It it, it all just sort of depends. There's so many variables, but mm-hmm. yeah, there, there's a lot that can happen. So the earlier on in the process, the better. Right, right. So then now you've done that. You've made your changes. And let's say it's September 1st of 2018. So you're just two months away from the, the big national election now. So two months away. Uh, what do you need to do anything two months ahead of time since you've already done something, you know, six months ahead of time? Yeah, I, I would at least rerun the vulnerability scans to see if, if anything new shows up. I, I, you know, assuming that you've already remediated the, the original findings. Um, you know, that's the that's the thing about vulnerability scans and these vulnerability scanners. They get better over over time. They find new flaws. They even have better exploitation and, and reporting capabilities that can really help out. So, I would at least do that if you can't justify doing the, the running the whole gamut of of the full security assessment with all the penetration, exploitation, manual analysis stuff. At least rerun those scans to see where things stand. Yeah, and give you a, a little bit of time to fix anything new that, that right. might have come up. Yep. Okay, so now we're at the week of the elections. We're at the beginning of um, November. I even I, I should have wrote down what day it was. Is it November 9th this year? November eighth. I can't remember. Um, I can but, look on my calendar. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't say on my calendar, so I have no idea. I think it's, if it's the first Tuesday of the month, it might be November 6th. But let's just assume yep. it's November 6th. So um, so what are you going to do? Are you going to wait till November 6th and monitor? Or is there anything you should do in the 
in just the one or two or three days leading up to the actual big event that's going to happen now? <laughs> you know, I think I'd be pretty paranoid about it. Um, yeah. With, with, I mean, this is front and center here here in the U.S. this year with with this this year's election. It's and, and it's it's it'll become. I'm, I'm guessing a worldwide type situation where we, everyone is trying to figure out how to have elections and mm-hmm. and how to not get hacked at the same time. But you know, maybe maybe the the week of it, maybe it's some last minute scans. Even if it's not on the production systems, it's in it's in some on some test or development systems. Um, maybe even some periodic checks across election day itself. Not, not that you'll be able to do a a ton with that, but you could. You know, there, there could be some compensating controls that you could put in place at the network level or somewhere beyond uh, where these systems are. You know, I, I would also be watching the logs on these systems, any sort of network traffic, looking for anomalies, looking for, you know, top talkers, weird protocols, odd things that stand out, uh, just, just general uh, anomalous behavior. Um that that might send up a, a flag or might indicate that something is going on that, that could potentially be stopped before mm-hmm. it's too late. Well, and even from a full vulnerability assessment aspect, I mean, thinking uh, what worries me also is, um, you know, are the factors involved with physical access? So I think I'd want right. to even do walkthroughs of the yep. the areas where you know the ballot uh, where you go in the polling areas and so on. Absolutely. It's a great point. Uh, physical security, the physical component, sometimes we take it for granted because, well, you know, we're, we're physical beings. We go do this voting thing physically and, and you know, sometimes it's easy. You, you assume like, oh, okay, everybody's going to be on their best behavior at the, at the voting precinct. Um, but, but no, I mean, there's, there's plenty of room for nefarious behavior. And, and mm-hmm. I, I, think it's, uh, I, I think it's something that does need to be considered. So now let's go to a different case study or scenario and a little bit different view of uh, penetration testing and vulnerability assessment. So let's say that you are now responsible for building the breach identification and response program at your organization. Let me say security incident and breach identification because usually breach is just um, associated with personal data. So we'll expand right. it out to, uh, to everything. Okay. But let's say you're building this. So how would you incorporate vulnerability scans and penetration tests and other things into that incident uh, and breach identification and response program? Yeah, I think it's a really important part of it. I, I do a lot of uh, incident response uh, planning Helping my clients, you know, sort of uh, plan out their their documentation, uh, and so, so they can have a, sort of a flight plan uh, when when the going gets rough, and and also post breach, um, I'll, I'll come in and, and and do a fair amount of work. But hopefully the scans are already taking place. Uh, but you'll want to formalize that work into into these aspects of your security program, and to to me it can help find the weaknesses in advance. You know, mm-hmm. it can it, it can help find the the systems that are housing the um, the, the sensitive information. It, it'll it'll find the it'll find the uh, the vulnerabilities. It can show how they can they can be exploited. Uh, it, you know that that's a big part of the the internal security assessments that I do 
I'll go through and, and look across the network and not just see, okay, well, there's missing patches or I can get a remote command prompt. What else can I do? Can I connect to network shares? Is there personally identifiable information on those network shares? Why is it there? Who has access? All that stuff. So vulnerability scanning, penetration testing, all that stuff can, can again, it can, it can help find the weaknesses in advance. But like I said a, a moment ago, the, some of the work that I do, it can also show you what was exploited after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you use scanning in conjunction with logging and monitoring, alerting, it can it can uh, also help you establish a, a baseline and even show you what real attacks look like at that level. So it, I think it's a natural uh, progression to 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 or natural integration. Mm-hmm. Um, from you know your vulnerability and penetration testing over to incident response, I, they're not, they shouldn't be silos within the mm-hmm. organization. Well, then you're really adding value to what you're doing because you're expanding your incident and breach identification and response program. Now you're making right. it an incident and breach prevention identification and response program. So there you go, and that's that's going to look good uh, in, in the eyes of. Uh, um, a, a judge and a jury, and, and mm-hmm. it's, it's going to give opposing counsel a lot less uh, stuff to go after you for because you're, you're showing, you're demonstrating due care. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of due diligence there for sure. So, yep. Yep. so I want to talk about another type of thing that's becoming very common, and and they kind of fascinate fascinate me, and they're happening a lot here in Central Iowa as well as really all over the world. But there's becoming new types of uh, skimmers that are being used. I mean, they they're just uh, it's an exploding market. It seems like for for ATM skimmers, for um, card reader skimmers, and even the juice jackers, you know, from the USB chargers that yep. you have. So when you're thinking about those types of, of skimmers and juice jackers, could pen test or vulnerability scans, could they help with trying to prevent those? Or I guess, what would, how would you use those tools for those types of devices? You know, it's a tricky one because there's uh, there, there's a lot of avenues of attack, and the the reality is the ATM is there, and it kind of has to be there in order for it to for it to work, and for mm-hmm. for you know banking customers to get money out of it. But it, it's it's a tricky one. I, I've I've always said that if a system has an IP address or a URL, or even if it in the case of some newer technologies, even if it's emitting some sort of radio frequency or can otherwise be manipulated, then it needs to be tested. It needs to be tested now and, and moving forward. Um, you know, you, you may not be able to scan or test a system like this in a tr- in the traditional vulnerability and penetration, uh, penetration testing ways, but you can still use it in testing scenarios, you know, mm-hmm. through physical security um, uh, exploitation. Uh, may- maybe you install something, you install that skimmer, you, ins- you remove something, you, you, um, you change something on it, and, you know, whatever else that you can think of uh, with your hacker mindset and just see what happens. Um, th- does the overall system change its behavior? Do alarms go off elsewhere? Maybe some logs are being written. The possibilities for finding flaws and ex- exploits are, are endless in this context. But it's th- th- this is a tricky one because it's it's got both the the, the physical and the logical components to it. So it's mm-hmm. it, it, it's a bit trickier to find to find those vulnerabilities or and even if you do find the vulnerability it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to fix it because again an ATM has to be accessible right 
Well, and even because it is out in the public and it's so accessible, it seems mm-hmm. like that makes it even more important right. to uh, do these types of activities, even if, you know, even if it takes extra thinking. And, you know, like um, when I introduced you and described what you do, it, it goes beyond the checklist. You, you have to actually do critical thinking in order to think about how you're going to implement them. You do. You do. And, and, and I think that's... Um, not necessarily at the level of banking and testing ATM security, but generally speaking, looking at vulnerability and penetration testing and people, a lot of people are just going through the motions with these security assessments. They're just checking that box. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they just want to get it, get through, get over, get it over with. And that's, that's all there is to it until next year or next quarter or however often you're doing them. And, you know, it's a, I, I don't envy these people that are in these positions that are having to go through these tests, but I but but I, you also have to look at it. I mean, this is a true business function. This is mm-hmm. not unlike legal, HR, finance, any of the important business functions. You got to make sure you're doing it right. You got to think it through and make sure you're looking in all the right areas. And most of the the situations that I'm seeing, a lot of clients that are that are coming to me after being with other uh, uh, providers and whatnot, they're saying, "Oh, wow, yeah." you're you're looking at things differently than what we, we they used to just scan our external systems but you you're saying that we need to look at our our internal network and our web applications and everything else and yeah and the at the end of the day you really do Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's, it's such a complex uh, environment anymore. Well, you've right. done so many of these. I mean, you've done so many pen tests and vulnerability scans over the years. Do you have any situations that you can share with us, like maybe some of your most memorable or bizarre or surprising? <laughs> you know, Becky, I'm always finding some crazy stuff, uh, and, and that's what makes my work so interesting. And, you mm-hmm. know, plus, if I, if I didn't find good stuff, then I'd be out of work. But mm-hmm. I, I would say uh, one assessment that sticks out is is one where I was using a network analyzer to capture metadata on mm-hmm. uh, basically I was plugged into a mirror span port on a firewall and I was looking at the top talkers and the protocols and and whatnot on the network and and I I found a workstation on the inside of uh, this network really big network I, I don't remember probably four or five thousand uh, network hosts mm-hmm. and a workstation was a top talker most of it was HTTP some FTP but it was it was way more traffic than than the email server web server FTP all that stuff well we drilled down a little bit further and it was a director level employee hosting pornography on his oh. uh, work computer <laughs> wow so he had uh, a second career going on there he huh? did and and based on the the amount of traffic I'm, I'm guessing he was making some pretty good money um, <laughs> it's uh, probably it's before Bitcoin though huh right right absolutely <laughs> um, you know and uh, another project I I, I sent out it was a little over 200 like 220 some odd phishing emails mm-hmm. um, and not only was I able to, to get the recipients to click the link and and you know go through sort of the workflow to get them to fall for it but of, of the 220 uh, recipients 67 percent of them gave me their network username and password. 67%? Yeah, it was like 170 some odd people divulged their username and password simply because I asked. (laughs) That's all? 
That's all. He just um, asked for it. I just asked. Well, I, I made it. I, I made a compelling. It was a compelling message. It looked okay. like it was coming from the inside. And and here, just click here by the end of the day to state that you agree. And then you, they're prompted to log into the quote unquote oh, network. Oh, and interesting. <laughs> yeah, there, there was another one. Uh, I, I looked at an HR manager's laptop. I said, mm-hmm. I said, hey, you, you, you mind if I just do a quick check just to look for some personally identifiable information on the system and whatnot? And she, yeah, there, that's good. Uh, go ahead and do that. I, I don't keep anything on it. Everything's out on the network share that, that we have. And um, I, I did a quick scan, I don't know, within 30 minutes or so. I found like two and a half million records containing PII, like credit cards, socials, bank account numbers and all that. And and the real kicker was not the fact that she had it on there, but the fact that it wasn't encrypted and it wasn't being patched because she was taking it home. She was leaving it in her car. Oh my gosh. All, all this stuff, all these, Wow. I mean, th- this is stuff that this is why we see, this is why we have breaches. This is mm-hmm. why we have problems with security because in many ways, the users are making security decisions on behalf of IT and security professionals. And that's where, yes, that's where the, the trouble Start. So, you know, there, there's there's countless things that, that I've come that I come across really on a monthly basis. It's 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 funny and scary and it but but it's good. It, it's it's good for me and it's good to it's good to find the stuff. It's better than, I, yeah. than I'm finding it than someone else. So, oh, definitely. <laughs> well, um, one thing that I just want to want to say about that is, you know, yeah. I'm not that smart. I, I wasn't able to do these things because I'm some security ninja cyber wizard. I was able to do these things because I knew what to look for. I used proven methodologies uh, to uncover the flaws, and, and I relied on good tools to sort of bring it all together. And, and in the end, that's really all that's needed. Cybersecurity ninja cyber wizard. I like <laughs> that. That's a title I want. <laughs> so... Uh, That'd what be cool. What will they come up with next? <laughs> what will they come up with next? That's right. Well, in the last uh, couple of minutes here, we're already to the end of the show, but uh, in the last, in about two minutes, can you give maybe one or two main takeaways that you want our, our listeners to, to remember about vulnerability scans or penetration testing? Yes. Um, first of all, you, you have to know what you've got. You have to know what's on your network. Uh, you, you have to understand how it's at risk, and then you've got to do something about it. Th- those three steps, the, that, that's sort of the essence of everything we have become and do in security. You just need to make sure that you're doing everything you reasonably can to maximize the return in each of these areas. So again, it's know what you've got, understand how it's at risk, and then do something about it. And most people are deficient in one or all of those areas, and you've got to figure out where that is on your network, in your business, in the context of your specific needs to make sure that you're not leaving anything on the table. And then um, secondly, don't get caught up in the terminology. You know, in the, in the same ways that we don't tell home inspectors how to inspect our homes or tell radiologists how to read our MRI scans, we, we shouldn't limit ourselves to just targeted penetration tests or high-level vulnerability scans or some other niche testing that really doesn't look in all the right areas. We can get mired in those semantics or, or, or we can just get to work finding the, the weaknesses that are creating the risks. And it doesn't matter what you call your testing, if the meaningful flaws are being looked for and they're being uncovered across all the right systems based on your business needs, then that's really all that counts. 
Great. Well, those are excellent points to uh, to leave everyone with here. And I think um, it shows how important in all the many layers of security controls that every organization needs that pen testing and vulnerability scans are two Absolutely. very important tools. So, well, yep. thank you so much, Kevin, for being on the show today. You've really provided some great insights on vulnerability scans and uh, pen testing. You're welcome, Becky. Thanks for having me. Definitely. So today we've been speaking with Kevin Beaver, owner of Principal Logic LLC, about vulnerability scans and pen testing. Now you can see more about Kevin at principallogic.com. And also I have more about him at uh, my Voice America Business show site. So go there to check it out, too. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. Please tune into the show each week. And if you cannot make our scheduled time, you'll be able to listen to the recordings. And you can re- you can find recordings of all my past shows on iTunes, Mobile Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and all the other uh, apps that I listed at the beginning of the show. Plus, of course, go to the VoiceAmerica.com business channel website and subscribe to it. And um, feel free to contact me for information, security, privacy, and compliance, keynotes, being an expert witness, and more. And also, you can visit my YouTube channel, The Privacy Professor, to see my videos out there, such as my appearances on CW Iowa Live morning shows. Now, I urge you all to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues As you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it is secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and those you work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.